We want you to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 22 this morning, Matthew's gospel and the 22nd chapter. Over the last three weeks, we've looked at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the roles they play in our pursuit of godliness and and in that doctrine of godliness, there's a way that we should live each and every day. The Father in heaven's holy and we should be like him. Just keep going that way. You're going great. There you go. Amen. Amen. All right. But the Father in heaven who's holy wants you and I to be holy. And Jesus is the one who makes that possible. Praise the Lord. That when you and I accept him as our Lord and Savior, we, our identity is with him. And just as he was buried and rose again, so too you and I have died to an old way of living. And it's that spirit that comes and dwells within us and enables us to live godly lives. And so now that we have good theology and we understand that, what do we do? How do we flesh out this faith that we profess? How do we show it to one another? How do we show it to a world around us on a daily basis? How do you and I live authentic, godly lives? Now, I don't know about you, but we could come up with a list of rules. We're really good at that. We can come up with a whole list of rituals and routines, things that we'd say, you must do this, you must do this, you must do this. I mean, just look around the world at churches and houses of worship all over the place. There's always a good laundry list of things that the worshipers should do, must do. And yet, is that what it means to truly be godly, just to do someone's list? That's what religion is, right? Adherence to these duties and dogmas and doctrines, directives. The Christian faith is rooted, what we're going to discover today, not in law, but in love. Law, the law of God, is built on the foundation of love. And Augustine said this. He said that Jesus Christ gave us a very simple precept by which we should live. Here it is, ready? Love God and do what you want. Love God and do what you want. Pastor Chris, is it really that simple? That I can let every action, whatever I do, be influenced or come from a fountain of love in my heart for God? Well, if he's correct, think for a moment. The way that I would treat my bride, the way you treat your spouse, is first to love God and then do what you want. Because if I love God, then the way I treat Miss April is I'm going to show her that love of God by being like Christ to her, which is precisely what Paul commanded in Ephesians. If he's right, then how do I shepherd my children? I love God and then I do what I want. Because what I'm going to do is shepherd them in a way that models before them as a father the fatherhood of God. That pesky neighbor. How do you deal with them? Well, you love God and then do what you want. Because if you love God, you're going to do the right thing to that pesky neighbor. And we need to understand this today. Love is to be the root of all of our relationships. First with God and then with others made in his image. And that image is all around us. It's not like this world. It has a self-centered love. God's love is others-oriented. It's oriented first and foremost on God and then on others made in his image. 
This week and next week, we're going to talk about God's love, the love of God that we should have in our hearts, the love that we should express, but also we're going to focus on love that is not rightly oriented. There's love, as we're going to learn today, that should be rightly oriented, and there's a love that's wrongly oriented. We love the wrong things. Come next week or meditate on that verse this week that's coming up, and you'll understand where we're going. You see, I have to get my religious affections right. It's not just what Jonathan Edwards wrote. He wrote a very important book back about our religious affections. We all have affections of our hearts. Some are rightly oriented. Some are wrongly oriented. We need to make sure they're rightly oriented so that we live godly lives. And in Matthew 22, we're going to stand and read this section. Now listen, this is really dangerous because you know this verse already. We've sung it. Many of you already know. You've already memorized this verse. And there's a danger that you and I can just close our hearts and close our Bibles and the Word of God not do anything in our lives today. So our prayer, even as we stand to read the word of God, Spirit of God, speak to me. Expose me. Let your word speak to my heart today so that I walk out of the doors different than I walked in today because I've heard God speak in my life. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. I'm going to read this section right here, Matthew chapter 22, and I'm going to read from verse 34 down for about five or six verses here. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus, he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Father, we pray that this would be chiseled on our hearts today. Father in heaven, we pray that your word would be real to us right now. Lord, there's a mirror before us in your word. Help us not to walk away forgetting what we see in our lives. Help us not walk away forgetting what we see about you. God, let our lives be changed today. Word of God, Spirit of God, speak to us and transform our lives. And Lord, may we walk out differently than we walked into worship today. And we'll give you all the glory and honor and praise, Jesus, as we apply your teaching today to our lives. It's in your name we all pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Jesus Uh, In this chapter, Matthew 22, has already faced several challenges. The political leaders, the religious leaders, they didn't like him. They were trying to get him out of the way. And he's in the temple during this uh, final week before he goes to Calvary to die on a cross, a cruel cross for the sins of the world. And and as he's there, uh, he's questioned by different uh, groups, different authorities, different religious leaders. And and Matthew records these three controversial uh, interactions that he had. The first was with a, a political group, uh, and, and that was uh, called the Herodians. And there he dealt with the relationship uh, between religion and the government. Who do we owe our allegiance to? Who do we owe our duty to? And of course he said, you know, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but you also give to God what belongs to God. 
Then he dealt with the Sadducees, and, and, and they were sad, you see, some would say, right? Because they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they asked this question, they posed this question about this life and, and, and the life that is to come. And, and Jesus answered their question so much that, though, that they didn't even say anything, but the people around him said, wow, he speaks with such authority. And they were amazed at his response because he had pretty much silenced the Sadducees. The Pharisees liked that because they didn't like the Sadducees. And so they put forward one of their champion uh, thinkers and they pour this lawyer forward before him. And, and they've got a question about uh, the commandments that God has given us. And, and, and that was the case and necessary because they, they, they like to study the commandments. This lawyer wasn't a lawyer like we would think lawyer. It was a scribe. It was one who studied the letters, is what they would call it. The letters are the, the commandments that God has written. And, and that scribe was one who would study all the schools of thought. How do we interpret this commandment? How, how, to what degree do we understand this commandment? Well, if you were in a particular school, you might have this interpretation. Another school of thought would have a different interpretation. And then they would just, they would just wrangle over that all the time. Wrestle over, well, I think it's this and, and I think it's that. And, and we see that today and depending on what school of thought you are as a theologian. But they were trained in the letters. That's why they put him forward. And, and they thought, listen, let's put this question before him and let's see how he answers. Now, he brings this question to Jesus. And notice this, Matthew says there's, he's testing him. He's putting Christ on trial in a way. He's, he's bringing this before him to try and trip him up. And as he brings this question before him, he just asks a very simple question. Which commandment is the greatest in the law? Now, this isn't a new question. Most likely they had discussed this question before because they wrestled with the law in their rabbinical schools. They, they'd study and they'd, they'd determine, here's the most important uh, commandment. This is what we think, but what does Jesus think? Because there's 613 commandments. That's a lot of commandments, y'all. There's a lot of commandments, and 248 of them are, you shall do this. They're positive commandments. 365 of them, it's interesting, that's how many days there are in a year, are negative commandments. Thou shall not, one for every day of the year, right? Which one's right? Which one's the greatest commandment? Uh, the positive ones or the negative ones? Certainly we can figure out which one God says is the most important. But even for the scribes in those schools of thought, it wasn't enough to divide them as positive and negative commandments. They even divided them in what they called the heavy commandments and the light commandments. The heavy commandments were those that were really, really, well, they're heavy. They're important. And the light commandments, well, they're not, they're not as important as the others. I mean, it wasn't as important maybe, you know, what you sewed in your clothing as do not murder somebody. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would. So what they would say is they really focused on the heavy commandments and not so much about some of maybe the trivial ones. Now here's the problem with that approach. You see, God's law says if you're going to be perfect before him, you've got to keep it all. All 613 commandments. Every day, you cannot fall short in any one of them. You must do all of those that command you do something and not do all those that command you not do something. All 613 every day, and it doesn't matter whether they're heavy, light, positive, negative, you break one, you're guilty before God. Doesn't sound good, does it? So they bring a command, a question. 
Now think about this. No matter how Jesus answers, they're going to find some way to challenge him, right? I mean, they're, they're good at splitting hairs, and so they're going to question whatever he says and maybe get him on some technicality. And so what does Jesus do? Well, he pauses for a moment and, and then he answers. Now, what's fascinating is he doesn't go to the, the, the Ten Commandments over there in Exodus chapter 20. He doesn't go, well, they're repeated in Deuteronomy 5. He doesn't go there. He doesn't pull something from Leviticus. He, he goes to Deuteronomy and he goes to the great confession of God's people. He, he goes there and he pulls from the Shema, from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema was the, the Israelites, it was their statement of faith. It's what they believed about God. He, he goes to that section, hey, hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And, and you shall love that God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You're to love him with all of your being. That, that's where he pulls the greatest commandment. Now, what's significant is this. This was the creed of the Jewish people. This is what they confessed. This is what they believed. And they would all be familiar with it because every day that they had their daily devotion, they were to repeat these words from the Shema. And so he brings what is very familiar to them before them and says, this is the greatest commandment. It's the greatest commandment where you make the great confession that God is one then you live out the great commandment and you make the great commitment, which is the rest of Deuteronomy chapter 6. But you see, this commandment to love God loves him for all that he is. And we love him with all that we are. And we love him with all of our being, heart, soul, mind, strength, all of our possessions, everything that we're to do. We sang, I, I will love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. With all my strength. I'll serve you. I'll praise you. This is the, the essence of who we're to be as God's people and living godly lives is that we love him because of who he is and what he's done. And what he has done is given all of himself to you and to me. Would he expect anything less from us in return? No. And this is the greatest commandment. Now, the motivation is, it, is this. You shall love your God. The Lord, your God. If you and I profess that he is our God, this is how we should respond to him in obedience. And our obedience is not so much an action, an activity, as it is an attitude of my heart that is yielded and surrendered and acknowledges something about him. He's loved me, and I just want to love him back. And that affects me with my emotions, with my volition, my will, physically, spiritually. Everything that I do, I am loving God with all that I am. Now what's amazing is, instead of emphasizing something that we have done that we ought not to do, a negative commandment, the first and great commandment that Jesus gives us is something that we ought to do. Let's be honest, we don't always do. We don't love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And yet we must. That, that's the greatest commandment. He deserves all of you and all of me today. He doesn't just deserve us for an hour on Sunday, an hour on Sunday night, or an hour on Wednesday. 
all throughout the week, every hour of every day, what God wants from you and what God wants from me is our love. I mean, there's a hundred other things he could have told you and I that we're to give him. Our money, our time, our efforts, our will. And we go on and on and on. He, he, our children, our families, all that. But what he wants supremely is my love and your love. Why? Because when he has that from you and from me, he has all the other things. I think that's why over in Revelation, when God gives a word in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 to the churches, that first warning to the church at Ephesus is so impactful in many ways. Why? Because they were doing a lot of things for God, but they had lost one thing, their first love. And they needed to repent and get that right. And frankly, we need to repent and get that right. That we love God supremely above all things. That we love him first and foremost in our daily walk. And beloved, when we get that right, we'll get everything else right. Jesus didn't stop there, you see. He said we're to love God with all of our being, with all that we are. And then we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, why are these two things connected? Now, what's fascinating is when you go over to Leviticus Leviticus 19, what you find there is just this laundry list of commandments that are seemingly disjointed and disconnected. There's there's no rhyme or reason to them. It's not like it's a whole section just on our offerings or just on our work ethic or uh, how we should live and and, and what we should how we should live or or how we how we do things at our home or or how we parent our children. No, no, no. It's just a laundry list of, of, of commands. And when you go down through there in verse 18, you just, Jesus just plucks out this one verse that says, you should love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, there's laws over there about our offerings, our harvestings, our stealing, our lying, our perjury, cheating, cursing. And Jesus just pulls this one verse out and says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because you see, that commandment affects all the others. That one commandment is really the concrete reality that you and I love him. You see, here it is. Ready? How can you and I say we love God when we don't love his image that is all around us? That image that's seated right beside you right now, whether it's your spouse, your child, or a friend. That's the image of God that's around you, your neighbor. You and I, listen, I know the culture has tried to teach you and teach me. They've tried to re-educate us and say, listen, especially the minds of the children, oh, we're not made by God. No, 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 no. We've evolved. There's this little protoplasm came from some pond and it, it evolved. And, and then it grew and, and, and over billions and billions of years, here we are, right? And you stop and think about the loss of the dignity of mankind that we've lost today and the lack of appreciation of God's image in people and you wonder why we act like animals in our culture. You see, this, this changes everything, especially if the church would just live up to this today, right? That we would not just say, oh, I love God, but I also love those made in His image all around me. 
And see, the amazing thing, when you love your neighbor, who's my neighbor? I mean, is this Mr. Smith that lives beside me on my right? Or, you know, on, or Mr. Jones who lives on the, on the left of me? Or maybe you live out in the country and say, we ain't got no neighbors out here. Who is my neighbor? Well, that's the amazing thing. Because your neighbor is not limited to your habit, your home, where you abide. Your neighbor is all around you, all throughout the week. Listen, students, what this means, listen, when you go to school tomorrow and you sit in your classroom, your neighbor is, well, the one that's seated beside you at that moment on your right or your left or before you. When you go to the cafeteria to get lunch, your neighbor's right there, someone that you're in line with. They're the one in proximity to you. At that moment, they're your neighbor. When you sit on the ball team and, and, or at the ball on the bench on the ball team, you're waiting to go in until it's your turn and, and you're seated beside your teammates, at that moment, they're your neighbors. And what you are supposed to do, the challenge for you and I is, listen, is to respond to them or show them love. To respond to them, to, to conversate with them, to, to impact their lives willingly in some way, serving them, showing them grace, even, by the way, when they're malicious towards you, not being spiteful in return, loving them. It's challenging. Hey, hey students, it's your parents, by the way, in your home. They're your neighbor. And you're to love them. Oh, yeah, adults, they're your neighbor too, right? We're to love them. Uh, th- listen, adults, listen. It, it, your neighbor is, is when you're going to the restaurant today after church to eat and, and, and someone cuts in line, and I don't just mean in the restaurant, but maybe driving on the way there, that sweet neighbor that just did that and you just want to lay on the horn and let them know Jesus loves them, Right? Or follow them into the restaurant and let them know what you think about their kindness to you. Our neighbors are all around us. And the way we treat them says something about the God that we claim to worship. By the way we relate to them. You see, everywhere, at every time, everyone, you and I meet, Jesus says this principle, you know what? It's universal. You're to love your neighbor as yourself. This affects our relationships, you know. My mother-in-law is not my mother-in-law. She's my mother-in-love. And man, that radically changes the relationships between in-laws. They're not in-laws, they're in-loves, right? That's how we should treat them. And that'll, just try it out, see how it works. I dare you, double dog dare you, son-in-love. Go tell your mother-in-love, call her that and see what she says, Amen. Oh, he's so sweet. I'm so glad he married my girl. You watch. Change the relationship, how? By doing what Jesus said with this principle. Live in love. You see, this commandment grows out of the first. We love God, and then because we've been loved by him, we love others made in his image. And we love them as we would love ourselves. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm looking out for my best interest in life. I like when things go well for me, but is that what I do with others around me by the way I treat them? Do I look out for their best interests? I mean, Philippians 2, 3 would say that we're to have this mindset, right? That we're to look out for the interests of others. It's those who profess to know Christ should live in this way. Uh, Romans 12.10 would say something similarly. Am I interested in the best, what's best for someone else? Because if I love them, I know that's what God did for me. 
Didn't he look out what's best for you and for me? Praise the Lord we can celebrate that today. Amen. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. He freely gave it. He loved me that way. And now I have that duty to do to others around me. And if I love him, the God whom I have not seen, how can I say I do if I don't love my brother whom I have seen? That's all around me. You see, what's amazing here is I have that responsibility. And the sad thing is we don't do it. And I'm not talking about with that neighbor, the pesky neighbor who plays the music too loud or, you know, does something, you know, their tree is, you know, leaning over on your fence at the moment and you wish they'd get it off, whatever. No, no, no. Even in God's house, we don't do that. We, we carry stuff and hold stuff over each other's head. Unforgiving. You say, well, they're not in this service. No, they're in the first service. They were here earlier and I got on them as I'll get on you right now. That we, we carry that baggage around and we're unforgiving, unwilling to show love. When God commands us to do that, Jesus commands you and I because that's the new commandment that he gave us. And by it, the world will know that we're his, that we love one another. You see, you find this woven throughout. And if anyone should demonstrate it, it's you and me, the people of God. We should be loving towards one another. Instead of holding and harboring grudges and holding things against people, not showing them God's love. I mean, he did that for us. It radically would change your life. And by the way, you say, well, I'll do it when they love me. Doesn't matter what they do to you. Your responsibility is what matters. My responsibility matters for me. I'm responsible to do this no matter what they do. This is the commandment for me. This is the commandment for you. You're to love your God and you're to love your neighbor and allow God to work on them just as he's working on you and working on me now you see all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two principles if you go back and you read Torah Genesis Exodus Leviticus Numbers Deuteronomy and you find precepts and principles there that are written that God commands it hangs on one of these two laws either love God supremely with all that you are or love your neighbor as yourself if you open up Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all the way through. By the way, even not just the ones that are written to God's people, but even like Nahum or someone who writes to a, to a Gentile, right? God's command there is the same. Love me with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Whatever that principle and precept, you can tie it right back to these two things. Well, if that's the case, if that's the foundation for all of it, then we should apply it in our lives. This is the instruction. And the amazing thing is, is when you realize that, I don't need a laundry list of do's and do nots. All I need is this. Love God, do whatever you want. Love God, love the image that he's put before me. Whether it's in my home, in my neighborhood, in the workplace, in the school, in, in, the, in the arena of ideas that are out there. Wherever you find yourselves, show God's love. You see, this changes it from achieving a command that I have to do something to be acceptable to God. To as one has said now, to an attitude of my heart. And the amazing thing is, none of us will ever be able to boast that we actually fulfilled all of it. That's why we need grace. That's why we need mercy. And praise God, they're new every morning for you and for me. 
Nobody can, can merit eternal life. None of us deserves it. it. It brings us back to a position of humility and brokenness before God. I mean, we're just empty-handed beggars. And that's who gets into the kingdom. Those who are poor in spirit. Realize we're nothing without him. But now, because we're his, man, he's made us everything. And he calls us to do this. To live godly lives, I am to love God and those made in his image. And if I have any real love for God, it will be concretely demonstrated by the way I relate to those made in his image all around me. This will change how you go to work tomorrow. Absolutely. The way you deal with your boss or with your coworkers. It will change how you and I relate to one another in this household of faith. And Jesus said the world will know it when we demonstrate this one to another. You know, by the way, you can't do this unless you first experience the love of God. You see, God is love. And, and in 1 John would tell us uh, over in 4.19 that we love him because he first loved us. When did he love you? When did he love me? You see, Christ demonstrated that love towards you and me. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died on that tree. He paid the penalty that my hatred, my lack of love deserved. He paid that penalty for me on the cross. And I can bend my knee and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm nothing but a wretched sinner. Save me. And the amazing thing is, he nails the penalty that my sin deserves to that tree. He's buried. He takes my sin to the grave. And no longer do I have to carry it around. The guilt of it on my shoulder any longer. But now I can be set free. And I can walk in the newness of life. Because his spirit now comes and dwells within me. And he transforms me day by day. As I learn. You know what? You're loving something other than God. You need to love him. We'll talk about that next week actually. Those alternatives that the world offers to us. And there are many things out there. And those are things that are wrongly oriented loves affections of our heart but but i can walk in a newness of life and i can begin to love those around me who are made in his image by the way even when they're unlovable because i realize no that's how he loved me when i was unlovable and it should be demonstrated day by day you say, Pastor Chris, I don't know if I have the capacity to do it. I don't want you to do it. God doesn't want you to do it. He wants the Spirit of God within Him to do it in you and through you. We just got to get out of the way, dying to self and finding life in Christ as the Spirit of God now leads us. And that fruit of the Spirit, which is love, is made manifest. And that's what God wants to do. Man, boil all this down just to two simple principles. Really, one, as Augustine would say, love God. And go do what you want. It really is that simple. But if I harbor anger, if I harbor resentment against someone, not just in work, but in the sanctuary, then you know what? God have mercy on me. That, that I'm unwilling to give them what was given to me, forgiveness. If I have a right relationship with him, then what I'm going to do is, listen, I'm going to put all things to the side because Christ is preeminent. And I'm going to love him supremely. And that's what Paul would tell the Colossians, right? Jesus is to have preeminence in everything in our lives. And then as we flesh out that faith, that law, that law is all summed up in my responsibility just to do this. Love, love authentically those around you. 
In fact, Paul would say it in Romans 13, 8. I think he repeats it over in Romans uh, chapter 13, verse 1. To me, it's kind of the tome of all his epistles right there. Uh, the, the book ends. And you know what? Let love for the brethren continue. Just let it be something that flows out of our lives. Why? Because we love him. Who is love? And has loved us and demonstrated it. In fact, what would communicate louder to this world out here is not our testimony, what we say about God, but how we show that by the things that we say and the things that we do for and to one another. And so we need to allow the Lord to change us today. Now, it'd be easy. Oh, I've heard this before, Pastor. I, I've already heard this lesson. I've known this one. And it'd be easy for you to even shut your heart right now and say, oh, this I have no, this is, I don't really need to hear this today. This was for them. That was for them. No. I, I need to be reminded of this each and every day. Because I'm to love him with all of my being. And I'm to love others as I would want them to love me, myself. And the truth is, we haven't always done that. But that's why this altar is open at the end of the service. Man, if you've really heard the word of God, if you've heard the spirit of God bring conviction, say, that's, you need that. You know that, that, that hatred, that anger, that animosity. Man, I had it yesterday during the second half of an NC State basketball game. I love them. Yeah, we'll carry that junk with us. And you don't have to. You can be free. Why go out that door with what you brought in? Why not just leave it? There's grace. There's mercy. It flows freely from his throne. The bitterness you, you carry in your heart, you don't have to. He wants you to be free. Why not? Why not go? Go free. Just loving him and others made in his image. But that takes humility. It takes brokenness. It takes a step of faith. It takes a step of trust. God, I, I believe you are who you say you are. I want my life to be different. And that can happen even right now. If you'll just say, God, apply that word right now. Chisel it on my heart. Spirit of God, I want to give me the power. I want to flesh that out in my life each and every day. I want to be real. I want my confession to be real that I love God supremely. As it's evident to those I love around me. I'm going to invite you to bow your head for just a moment. And give you an opportunity to respond to the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God has spoken to you today and you've heard the Word of God and maybe you came in carrying some baggage and you don't want to carry that going out and all you need to do is is come and confess that sin to the Lord and allow Him to forgive that and bring healing. That's what we do at this time in the service. The pianist plays. We don't stand. We don't sing. We just do business with God. We just be real with Him and bring our hearts before him and say, Lord, I I heard that. That was for me today, and I need to apply that in my lives. Please change my life today. I don't want to be the same as when I came in. I need that grace. I need that mercy. Maybe you're someone that's never publicly stated that Jesus Christ has loved you, but you realize, you know what? I, I can love because I've been loved by him, and and, and he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commit- commandments. And that first commandment is, is we not be ashamed of him, but we obey him in baptism. And maybe you need to testify of your faith through the baptismal waters and, and say, I'm a born-again believer. And, and, and Jesus died for me, and I've died to self to find life in him as my Savior and my Lord. Or maybe you've made that profession of faith. Jesus is your head, but you've not been attached to a local body of believers. And God's led you here to South River Baptist Church. And you need to identify with us as the people of God and, 
And help us to show that love one to another and share that love with the world around us so that they can experience that love for themselves. The altar is open for any who need to pray. Pastors are here and pray with you. Deacons, brides will pray with you as well. The altar is open if you need to come. If there's a burden on your heart, maybe you know a relationship that's just strained and, and just needs to be healed by God's love. I want to invite you, just give it to the Lord this morning. Give it to the Lord and allow Him to work in that relationship. Who knows, it may be your humility, your humbleness, your brokenness that God works through to reach a heart that's far from Him by you extending and showing love when someone hasn't actually been loving to you. Choose that today, please. Choose to be free and allow God to change your life.